what I want to do today is just lay a bit of a foundation for where we're heading over, over the coming weeks, months, years and centuries, millennia. don't think we'll get much beyond millennia, but um, it is a new day, it's a new season and even though we're doing similar things in a new place today, next week will be different, the week after that will be different, um, we're doing some dismantling of some of, the, some of the typical ways that we're doing stuff because our heart and, and what Dev and I really feel, our mandate from heaven is to build apostolic kingdom family. You're going to hear me banging on about those three words um, ad nauseum for uh, a little while longer. I've been thinking a bit about you know, how we do church. I've been thinking a lot about how we do church, actually. Um, because we don't want to just do what we've always done because that's what we always do. And I remember, um, I think I may have told you this a few weeks back, but I remember I was speaking at a church up in Newcastle one day and in the middle of worship, completely uninvited, I was having a great time worshipping, um, except for the fact that my fly was undone and I didn't realise until just before I got up to speak. It was one of those bits where I, I was sitting down and literally the pastor was in the middle of introducing me. I'm about to stand up. I looked down and went, oh, <laughs> I wasn't quite that calm on the inside, though I stayed very cool on the outside. But I managed somehow, I'm not quite sure how, but I managed somehow to rectify that situation without anybody knowing. And with enough time to get onto Facebook and actually post, about to get up to preach, just realised my fly was undone, and I hit post just as I got up, and then I went, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Don't know quite how I pulled that off, but I did. That's not the point of the story, however. The point of the story is, in the middle of worship, complete, I was having a great time worshipping and then God decided to interrupt me, which I thought was a little rude. Um, that's a joke, just in case any of you are wondering. He has permission to interrupt at any point. And I had this kind of vision thing, like I wasn't seeing it like in front of me, but I was seeing it really, really clearly in my mind's eye. And it was a whole group of people, it was like the church, like not just our church, their church, it was the church, you know, the, the people of God. And they were kind of like the, this cry out to the Holy Spirit, but not kind of the passionate intercessory, intercessory cry. It was this, this cry of, but this is how we do church. And, you know, and it was in you know, the format that, that we're used to. But this is how we do church. And the Holy Spirit just kind of smiled and went, oh, really, is it? And he blew on the whole thing and absolutely wrecked the way that we were used to doing stuff. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Other than I feel like this is probably four, four years down the track since that fly undone day that, um, that I'm starting to feel like God's giving us a new and a more complete vision of what his church, what his ecclesia, which is the Greek word used in the book of Acts to describe the church, what the ecclesia is actually meant to be about and meant to look like. And it's not that the way that we do church is bad. It's just, in my humble opinion, incomplete. You know, getting together and worshipping, that's a great idea. You know, that's, I, I don't suggest we stop doing that. You know, hearing from the Word, hearing prophetic words, you know, equipping, all of that stuff, all a good idea. Not, again, not anti that at all. But I want to suggest that that way, it's, it's like there's an number of levels like at worst case scenario that method leaves us bored worst case scenario and I'm sure look, we've all sat through our fair share of boring church at some point in our life hopefully not right now 
So that's kind of the, the, the worst version is I'm bored. And then, you know, kind of moving slightly forward, we're, we're blessed. Oh, I was really blessed today. Ah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. I was, I was blessed. If we take it up a notch, I was impacted. And that, that's good. We want people to be impacted when they come to church. Hopefully not by a child running down the corridor and not watching where they're going, but actually be impacted by, by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good. And I, in, in a sense, I think as the church broadly, we've been experts somewhere in those, one of those first three, or sometimes a combination, you know, either bored, blessed, or impacted in some kind of way. There's another level up that I think we can take, and that is where people get absolutely transformed. And we, we see that. And that, that is awesome. And when people have encounters that just touch their hearts and, and spirit of breakthrough comes and people get healed, they get delivered, they get set free, I say bring that on. And we only want to see more of that. But I want to suggest there's something even more that we need to be about. And this is not going to sound as spectacular as the last two, but let me tell you, when we get it right, it is, it is the ultimate. And that is we're brought to maturity. I'll say more about the boredom boring nature of that word maturity, um, especially as one who is a tad playful up here. Um, I'll come to that later. But I want to suggest that the goal of the body, and as the body is led, the outcome of that is that people are brought to maturity. We'll talk in a moment about what that looks like. You are open at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's show that there's some biblical weight behind this idea. So I'm going to start at chapter at Ephesians 4, verse 11. Familiar stuff, but I want to kind of pull out something maybe a tad not so familiar. So Christ gave, Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that... Now, I've taught heaps from this verse about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, what we call the fivefold ministry, which is essentially the governmental ministry of the church. That those five lenses of anointings, uh, when they are operating together, actually bring about the fullness of Christ. Taught a lot about those. What I haven't taught anywhere near enough about, and I'm now trying to fix that, is the next bit, which is so that the body of Christ may be built up until, this is a big until, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, here it is, and becoming mature. What a novel idea. And becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I want to suggest that an apostolic church, an apostolic kingdom family, an apostolic body doesn't just have the aim of enriching people's spiritual journeys, which all sounds very nice. You know, like a service provider, you know, come along and have your spiritual journey enriched. You know, like you're turning up to a day spa and, you know, and get your feet massaged and, you know, I mean, (laughs) I know I'm starting to cause some of you to fall into distraction and temptation right now, but stay with me for a moment. It's not just about enriching people's lives. And this is going to sound, coming from me, this is going to sound utterly heretical. It's not even about a move of the Spirit. Now... If you know me well enough, bring that on, okay? I'm not in any way downplaying or saying that that's not a good idea. It is a seriously excellent idea, and I also believe a thoroughly biblical idea. But I've seen lots of moves of God where people remain really immature. 
I've seen lots of them. I've been part of lots of them. <laughs> now, I've been part of moves of God that do, that do a whole heap. So don't hear me in any way criticizing moves of God or downplaying that. Bring it on. Let's keep praying it in. But let's not stop there. That's what I'm trying to say. I think I got there in the end. I'm not trying to say don't do on train. Let's not stop there. We actually have to see us as people in Christ and as a body brought to this thing called maturity. And then the measure of maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Hello. So I want to suggest that maturity is not just the absence of problems. You know, you look, sometimes, you, know, you look at someone and they've, they've got it together. They've done a lot of their healing journey. They've done, you know, they, they, they've, they think healthy. They raise their family healthy. They do all of these things healthy. It's like, wow, you're really mature. Awesome. Let's do that. But the question is, am I fully manifesting the fullness of Christ in my life? Probably not just yet. Probably not just yet. So when we're talking about maturity, we're not just going, you know, I just don't have any problems. That's not maturity. That's just the absence of problems. Maturity is about attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Is Christ and His glory fully manifested in me, in us as a community? And until that thing has happened, we haven't reached maturity yet. And we need apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers in order to bring us to that place. Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he was talking about the Galatian church. He, he was giving a, um, the individual version of an apostolic slap tunnel. You know, we, we do fire tunnels. Well, this was a slap tunnel. This is like everyone walked through slap. This is essentially the book of Galatians with that because they had fallen into Old Covenant, Old Testament ways, rules, regulations. And Paul basically said, that's witchcraft, falling into that old way because you have to take recourse to a different spirit. To do that Now, I'm not here to talk about Galatians, though I could do that forever. But what he says in Galatians 4.19, he says, My children, he says, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That, that in the pains of childbirth, some of the older versions talk about travail. Now, those of you who are intercessors or have that anywhere in your mix will understand this concept of travail. It is, if you ever watch an intercessor in full-on travail, it is like they're giving birth. And in the spirit, they actually are. They're actually trying to bring something to birth in the spirit realm. And it looks a lot like, um, in terms of the, oh, you know, the deep groaning, it looks a whole, like, whole lot like childbirth. And Paul is basically saying, and what we would call this is apostolic intercession, in that Paul's apostolic prayer for the Galatians is, I am travailing over you. I'm travailing over you. I'm not just thinking about you and hoping. I'm actually birthing something in my spirit so that the fullness of Christ might be established in you. That, that's, you start, when you look at Paul, you start to get the idea of what an apostolic body is meant to produce. Now, what is the context for taking people from infants through to maturity? I want to suggest that's a thing called family. Now, just look in life. No, he went away. Skylar went away, he just went for a walk, did he? Went for a drive? Yeah, okay. That was a joke. Just when he's a baby, he can't drive yet. Um, the context for bringing people to maturity is this thing called family. Families have mothers and fathers, they have sons and daughters, they have brothers and sisters. But that is the context. Now, I want to jump over to 1 John chapter 2 for a moment. Because in there, John actually describes three levels of spiritual maturity. 
Uh, where am I? 1 John chapter 2 and somewhere around verse 11. There it is. Verse 12, in fact. Now, when I, you know, the, the, when I read this as a youngster, I kind of thought this was a bit of a, just a little bit of a poem, and he's using all sorts of different words to describe the same thing. So he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And in my Bible, it's all really prosaic. You know, you can see it like right there. It's all like paragraphy, prosaic, like when you read the Psalms. And it sounds like this just little creative kind of introduction. If you look at um, the Passion Translation... Brian Simmons actually puts a little heading over the top of that that actually says three levels of spiritual maturity. And if you look at the Greek words where he talks about children, young men and fathers, there are actually three different stages of development that he is describing. And then he actually describes aspects of those stages of development. So he said, let, let's, the children for a moment, where he says, I write to you, dear children. Now he's not just addressing the whole church there as my dear children. He's actually... He uses the word technon, and now technon in Greek is, we would probably call it a teenager, kind of like a young teenager. Yeah, they have their own will. (laughs) They really have their own will. Um, Sorry, I'm just remembering a teenager in my house who has his own will. Um, He has a good sense of humor too, but yes, he has his own will. And one of the things that a teenager is doing at that stage of development is they're learning to develop self-control. They have their own will. They have their own mind. The the words that are used for the stages of development before that, um, it's where we get our word nepotism from. Nepios is the word. That's the one. And pidon is the other one. They're like the infants who are like just kind of newborns up to the age of two. And then the kind of age two to before they hit puberty is the next one. And up until, for those first two stages of development, typically the, child, the focus of raising the child was done by the mother. But once they hit that technon, that teenage age, um, in Greek culture, the, um, the father was the one who was taking on, essentially, the key role of raising that child, and in particular, that son. So this is a stage of development where I have my own will, I have my own mind, I've kind of individuated from my parents in a sense, but I haven't really learned self-control yet. I haven't really learned self-discipline. I haven't really learned the fullness of bringing my life under the lordship of Jesus, though I've had some kind of experience. So he says, the children's age, that child, that technon level of development, he says, your sins are forgiven in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. At the end of 1 John, the, the very last verse in the whole book of 1 John, Paul says, dear children, keep yourself from idols. In other words, that is an age where you're really prone to idolatry. Whether it's devices, I <laughs> love those things. Um, whether it's the Xbox, whether it's a, you know, I don't know if Justin Bieber's as cool as he used to be. What do you reckon, Lucy? No. Who's cool now? You. Clearly not me. <laughs> Who? Mr. Freeze. Oh, Eddie, that was a dad joke. Awesome. 
I now have a vision of Arnold Schwarzenegger in tonight's forecast. There's a freeze coming. Anyway, <laughs> let me try and get back on track somehow. Um, so he says, he says, dear children, guard yourself from idols. In other words, in that stage of development, though that you know your sins are forgiven, you're prone to idolatry. You're, try, you're prone to wander off and follow things that are something other than the Father. And he also says to them in verse 28 of chapter 2, he says, learn to abide in him so that you don't shrink away from him in shame. And then in chapter 3, he says, little children, make sure nobody deceives you. So at that age of development, the key things are you need to know that you're forgiven, but then your life needs to start to come under the lordship of Jesus because you're prone to deception, you're prone to idolatry, and it's an age where spiritual mothers and fathers are absolutely critical to your development. That's the children's age. Young men, when he says, I write to you young men, now this is the age, the age of young men is largely, I've kind of been through puberty, but I'm not married yet. So I'm kind of getting to the age where, you know, in that culture, they could take on the father's business. But they're not, they're not the mature man just yet. That's another word that's used for that again. And he says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Now, it sounds really obvious to say, but that word overcome in Greek literally means to, you have had victory over. So part of this stage of development is I have had victory over the enemy in my life. I've had victory over strongholds. I've had breakthrough over, if you like, the childish stuff, the childish wounds, uh, the entanglements of the world, all of that sort of stuff. At this stage of development, I've had breakthrough over that. Now, I reckon if we all got really honest with ourselves, there's many of us in the room that could kind of go, actually, I don't know if I've passed that stage yet. I, I don't know if I've hit that. I've actually overcome the evil one yet. And it also says, uh, verse 14, he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And then he says, and again, you have overcome the evil one. So the key markers of this stage of development is personal freedom and being strong in the word. It gives us some, some key markers. And just stop and just assess for a moment and go, okay, how am I doing in that realm? Because it just it paints a target for if Christ is going to be fully formed in me, what is that going to look like? What's the next stage? And then he says, fathers. He says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, that word known, we in the West think no, as in you know him kind of cognitively. But the word in Greek is gnosko, which is actually often used to describe sexual intercourse. It's, it's talking about an intimate experiential knowing not just a cognitive knowing. In other words, um, and Kenneth Woost, who writes this horribly hard-to-read translation where he literally transliterates every word and doesn't even change the order of it, he just whacks it in there because his aim is to make the most literal translation of all. Um, he says, I write to you because you experientially know the Father. In other words, when I'm at that Father stage, that place where I'm able to reproduce myself in another that father thing comes out of, I've had a genuine encounter and experience of the father's heart and I'm living out of that. Is that making sense? So John paints these three levels of maturity from knowing your sins are forgiven, but guard yourself from idolatry, guard yourself from deception. Make sure that you're under spiritual mothers and fathers in that stage of your spiritual walk. 
through to the young men. You're strong in the word, you know the word, but if you study that a little bit further throughout the New Testament, you'll often find they know the word, but they lack the love. And that young men, that, you know, I'm not talking again um, gender in this, I'm just talking generically. That young man stage is, I'm strong in the word, but the inference is, but I don't actually have the love yet. Whereas when we get to that father place, I've, I have personally experienced the love of the Father, and I'm living out of that encounter. Why do I paint that? Because I want us just to get a really simple picture of what does the Spirit want to do in you? His heart for you is not just that you attend church for the rest of your life and have your spiritual walk blessed and enriched, as good as that is. He actually wants to grow Christ in you. He wants Christ formed in you fully. And so just take stock and again, go back to 1 John chapter 2 and just go through that and go, okay, where have I not overcome the enemy in my life yet? Okay, Holy Spirit, let's go after that. But let's do that in a context of family. Let's do that in a context of mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, where I'm learning to grow as a son and a daughter. And those of us that claim to be mothers and fathers, the place where we mother and father is not out of a ruthless discipline, whack, bang thing, despite the apostolic slap tunnel language I used earlier. It's actually out of an encounter of the father's love and the father's heart that we then father and mother others into maturity. Now, what does maturity look like? There, I'm, this is not going to be an exhaustive list at all, but I just want to put a couple of things out there. D- incidentally, is it just me or is the air gone really hot in here or is it just me? No? There was a right next to you, top button, or top one, top one. Just in case, because if we lose air in here, you're all going to go unconscious. And I'm just going to keep talking. So it won't be a problem for me. It's flashing. Yeah, that means the whole building's going to blow. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, what does maturity actually look like? Given we've said. Apostolic kingdom family, the goal of apostolic kingdom family is to bring us to maturity in Christ. And that is the end game, not just blessing you, impacting you, even transforming you. It's actually seeing every single one of us brought to fullness in Christ. That is the aim. And that is why we're dismantling the ways that we've been doing things and starting to build new ways and starting to find new ways. And just because we're doing it for the next few months, whatever, we're doing it the way we are, doesn't mean that's the way we'll keep doing it. We don't know that yet. We're not there. What we know is our focus is not just doing church and having services and doing typical churchy things. It is actually, we want to see Christ formed in so much greater measure in every single one of us, this little black duck included. And to do that, we need to build family together. We need mothers and fathers. We need to be growing as sons and daughters. So what does maturity look like? I want to suggest one of the things that maturity looks like is, um, Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13 11, he talked about putting away childish things. He said, yeah, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, what do we mean by putting childish ways behind me? It's, it's not only like the, the behaviors of childhood, that irresponsible kind of stuff, but I want to suggest it's the childhood baggage. It's, it's the stuff that comes from growing up in an imperfect family of origin. And no matter how awesome, you're, I mean, I was blessed with an amazing family of origin. I still needed ministry. 
I still needed stuff. I still needed corrections in my heart because my mum and dad just weren't perfect, darn it. (laughs) I'm not a perfect father. My kids are going to need some corrections and some therapy as well. And Josh is not in here to shout amen, thankfully. Otherwise, (laughs) that would... um, Actually, it would be kind of funny in a really... Anyway, moving along. (laughs) But it, it it is... I have worked through... The, the, distor- the distorted or absent love of my childhood years. Because all of, all of our baggage basically comes down to absent or distorted love. And therefore, our heart learns things about what love looks like that actually isn't true. And therefore, we tend to either push it away or we do other things to kind of self-medicate our pain. So that's one of the things that maturity looks like, is putting away the childish things. One of the biggest things in, matu- in maturity is this thing called personal responsibility. And I think I hit this a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the things for me as supposedly an adult is there are things <laughs> in my life that if I don't ca- take care of, they just don't get done. Now, when are you, I have three kids ranging from eight feet tall down to however tall Nathan is, and they kind of have this expectation. Like, when it's feeding time, they kind of rock up somewhere around the kitchen bench and they kind of expect something to manifest in front of them in the form of some kind of food. And if it's not there, they usually say something like, when are we having dinner? Um, What are we having for dinner? Where is my dinner? Um, And, you know, sometimes not as polite as that. And that is normal for a child. And in a sense, for a child, the fact that they can actually come bound up to their parents and go, hey, where is it? It's kind of cool because they have this expectation that their needs will be met by those whose job it is to meet their needs. That is really healthy for that stage of development. Now, imagine for a moment Deb's away with the kids somewhere, just for the sake of this illustration. And I rock up to the kitchen bench and I'm looking around and I'm going, oi, where's my dinner? I'm hungry. Hello, anyone there? No one's there. Bench is still empty. Nothing has magically materialized in front of me. And I'm starting to get a little bit bitter and twisted. Why is no one looking after my needs? Why is no one paying attention to me? I'm clearly important. I'm here and I'm hungry. I have needs. I have desires. Feed me. How many of us turn up to church like that, though? I'm here to get fed. Who's going to greet me at the door? Who's going to do this? Who's going to look after that? Who's going to fix my kids for me? (laughs) Well, part of being an adult is, you know, if I don't learn to feed me, I don't get fed. Now, of course, you know, my wife is a wonderful cook and she does cook things and there are times where I do kind of go, hey, what's for dinner? And look, it miraculously appears and I just, I love it when that happens. (laughs) I really do. Um... Deb may have some different opinions about that, and next time she's up, she can um, share those. <laughs> she's fine. Okay, that's good. But you get the idea of if I don't learn to take care of me, no one else will because I'm supposedly an adult, and part of an adult is I'm personally responsible for me. I don't outsource my needs to somewhere else, and if I do, it actually costs me money, which I have to find a way to earn so that I can pay. If I pay someone to do my lawns or clean my pool or, I don't know, whatever it is or what, 
or iron my shirts. Yes, I've outsourced that in the last year. <laughs> Best 20 bucks a week I've ever spent, let me tell you. Um, if I outsource that, I actually have to come up with the goods to pay for that because it's not going to miraculously appear. Of course, the exception to that, which proves the rule, is when I'm like, oh, darn, I forgot to get the cash out. Honey, have you got any cash? So, yeah, here you go, again. And I promise I'll put it back. Sometimes I do. Anyway, personal responsibility. <laughs> Maturity looks like personal responsibility. So to what extent have I come to my spiritual walk, to my walk with Jesus, to the extent to which Christ is fully manifested in my life? Am I going, it is my personal responsibility to look at where I'm at, to really sit with the Spirit and say, where am I at? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to grow me? See, Romans 8 says that we, we talk a lot about predestination. You know, well, at least we did in my former religious life. <laughs> um, in the church I grew up in, we, there was always this conversations about predestination. And Romans 8 was typically the place where they talked about it, where it says, for those he, talking about God, foreknew, he also predestined. And we get this word predestination. Does that mean he has, you know, set out every little thing that's going to happen in my life and when I trip over and fall and hurt myself, I just go, oh, thank goodness that's over because it was predestined to happen? Yeah, I know. That was kind of a little bit of a joke that didn't really get. Um, but it's a Calvinist joke for those of you who are theologically minded. Um, but what the verse actually says is, those he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. You know, if you want to say, what am I predestined for? Those who know Jesus, those who experientially come into relationship with him, you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what you are predestined for. But there is a co-laboring. Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He says, it's not just going to miraculously happen. It's not work out your salvation, in other words, work for it. No, it's in you as a seed form. Now you have to co-labor with him to come to that place of maturity. I want to suggest maturity also looks like fruitfulness. See, when, when a person is fully formed as an adult, they're married, the natural expectation in a healthy life, and I know that that's not always the case um, everywhere, but in a healthy life, the natural expectation is that there'll be fruitfulness that will come from that marriage in the form of children. Now, we understand that sometimes there are medical reasons why, and we will keep praying for breakthrough because I believe there's promises in Scripture that there'll be none who will be barren or miscarry among you. But for the sake of this, maturity looks like fruitfulness. It doesn't just look like... Um, you know, some of my growing up years, I used to hear people say about all the members of the congregation, you know, they've been faithfully attending church for 70 years, sat in the same dang seat every Sunday, faithfully attending. And I'm kind of like, am I supposed to be impressed by that? So in other words, the mark of your spirituality is you manage to get yourself dressed and from home to the same seat at the same time each week. And you did that faithfully for 70 years. Woohoo! I hope that we have a whole lot more to kind of go after than that. We are meant to be fruitful. More on that at another point. This one's, this one's a little offensive, actually, because I think maturity looks like I'm not easily offended. So to me, offense is a symptom of either a wounded heart or of immature love. Either a wounded heart 
and because someone does something that presses that on that wound and it causes a reaction. Now, the answer to that is not stop behaving that way. The answer is I need healing. One touch of the Father's love on that spot, watch what happens. But offense is also immature love. In other words, I have not yet learned to love people that don't remind me of me. haven't yet to to do the agape love that unconditional love that says my love for you a is not going to be controlled by you and how you behave now when i let another person control me that's that's immaturity in that particular area and if i let someone else's behavior control my giving and receiving of love toward that person i haven't matured in love yet because love is actually bigger than another person's dysfunction i'm not saying that's easy to do and I can tell from the look on your faces that this is a very unpopular message right now. <laughs> but when I'm not easily offended, again, that, that is a marker of maturity. Hebrews 5 talks about having my spiritual senses trained um, to discern between good and evil. I'm, in other words, as I've grown in Christ, I'm not just using my head, but I'm using my spiritual senses to, if you like, spiritually feel my way through this minefield that is the world to go that that thing that's got life on it i can feel it i can sense it that that's got death on it that that is like an amazing colorful lolly wrapper that looks attractive and on the inside is an arsenic tablet that that's what discernment enables us to do is is to recognize what is healthy, what has got life on it, what has got the presence and the life of the Spirit on it, and what either is just straight out death or is death in a nice shiny wrapper. And actually the shinery and the more attractive the wrapper, the more deadly the poison inside it sometimes. And then Romans chapter 8 says, as many who are led by the Spirit, are, and the word sons there is, the word, is mature sons, are mature sons of God. In other words, this is not just a behavioral, I'm a nice person, I've dealt with my stuff, but there is a spirituality about maturity in Christ that says, I can discern between right and wrong, good and evil, from a spiritual place first, not necessarily from a moral place, but from a spiritual place. And my life is actually led by the Spirit, is led by the voice of God. I know how to hear His voice. Now, let me bring this puppy into land. Woof. <laughs> All of that is to say, what does maturity look like? What are we going after? And yes, we will always say, we're going after a move of God. We are going after, you know, people getting breakthrough and people getting, we're going after all of that, absolutely. With the end result that we actually become mature, that we grow up into him. And Paul actually uses the word grow up, not in an accusatory way, but he says, so that we might grow up people. And he actually wrote that to a church that had actually taken a whole city and had seen some of the most amazing spiritual breakthrough probably ever on the face of the earth to this point. And he said, hey, these people are given to you, not just for amazing breakthrough and a move of God, but to actually help you grow up. Sometimes I think one of the reasons why we don't see enough you know, really kind of senior CEOs, I spent a lot of my life in the business world, um, and we don't see a lot of the CEOs and those really high performers in church. One of the reasons why it's not the only probably, but other than, you know, like spiritual darkness and blindness, all of that kind of stuff, that's obviously playing a role. But I think 
when they often look at the church, it has been too often raked with immature behavior and immature attitudes and immature beliefs and practices. And, you know, people at that level are kind of going, you know, I've got enough problems in my life. Why would I go there? It's time for this to change. It's time for us to be the sort of community where no matter who they are, from presidents, um, CEOs, through to janitors and everybody else and homeless people would walk into a community like ours and go, oh my goodness, you guys know how to do life. You guys know how to innovate. You guys know how to be creative. You guys, you guys know how to solve problems like we have got no grid for. That would be a good day. Now, I said I was going to cycle around to this word boring again because growing up, there were two words that you know, were kind of like the end goal of growing up. You know, one was called wisdom and the other was called maturity. And you know, as a teenager, both of them sounded really boring to me until I understood what biblical wisdom was about. And actually, wisdom, when you read the book of Proverbs, is actually the party animal of heaven. I haven't got time to go into that, but wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs as being there in creation, yeah, rejoicing, partying over everything that's happening. If you like, wisdom personified in the Holy Spirit is like Tigger, just bouncing around, being ridiculously joyful, but ridiculously creative. So I found that wisdom is anything but boring. Now, I've also found that though the word mature sounds boring to, to my childish, oh, dang, I said it. I meant to say my playful nature, really, yes, childish nature. There's actually, it's actually anything but, because as I look at the life of Jesus, I would probably say, you know what? There was a fair bit of maturity about him. But his maturity was characterized by fire, not boredom and restriction and just, well, that wouldn't be wise to do that. See, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, that's anything but boring. And anyone who has had that experience knows that is anything but boring. That sets your world on fire. That leaves putting your finger in a PowerPoint to just like, oh, that's too tame. So, um, Deb and I were over in Bethel, and many of you have heard this story, and this is part of the, you know, coming into land story. Deb and I were over at Bethel, and we were at this health foodie shop called Trader Joe's. Thank you. Um, I was coming out to, I just got off a phone call to the person we're about to meet, and this dude rocks out of the shop, comes around, he kind of comes up to me just as I get off the phone, and goes, is your name Tim. Now, I'm in Reading, California. If you know anything about Reading and you know Bethel Church, you know that I was about to have a Bethel experience where someone got my name as a word of knowledge on the street, came over and said, hi, is your name Tim? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I've got a word of knowledge for you. I'm like, cool, bring it. And he just starts walking off. And I'm like, so I'm just kind of following, like, yeah. And then he goes all the way over. And I'm like, come on. He had my attention, obviously. He goes to get in his car. He turns back around to me and he says, you're called to bring the fire to the south. And then he gets in his car and sods off. Now, (laughs) not only did he have, like, I'd never met this guy before. And he got my name and he would have had no idea that I was from a country that is called the Great South Land. So I just knew, I've I've just had a Bethel Reading experience. Now, the reason I say that is because the apostolic call is one of helping people grow up, helping people actually become fully mature, which means Christ is fully manifested in you. Now, Christ being fully manifested on you you actually looks like a whole lot of fire. In other words, our call wasn't to bring the church to the south, it's to bring the fire to the south. 
to build a community that in Acts, is the Greek word is homothumidon, one in heart and mind with a fiery passion. In other words, there is maturity, but it's maturity that's characterized by fire, that's characterized by life, that people look at and go, I need to become like that person. I need to become like those people because they've got something that I haven't got. That's what we're going after. We're not just going after doing church, as good and as fun as that can be. What we're going after is growing deeper into the love of the Father and be absolutely full of fire. Our job leading this community is to create a context where we're continually stirring the fire up, where we're continually creating context for impartation and life and prayer and deliverance and all of that great stuff. Your responsibility to embrace mothers and fathers in the faith that can help us grow up. And sometimes it's, it's like a peer-to-peer mothering and fathering. There are people in my life that, that are pretty much the same age as me, but often act like fathers in my, spiritual fathers in my world. It's not about age. Where we're embracing mothers and fathers, but we're continually pushing in for more and more fire. We're not just here to be nice. We're here to bring heaven. Let's stand. Your responsibility in that As Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Fan into flame. In other words, don't just turn up to the meal table and going, where's my dinner? Who's going to bring the fire? There's no fire. Who's going to bring it? It's already in you. Your job is to stir it up. And I want to do that right now. Just let's just get into into some form of engage with God mode for you, whether that's hands out, hands up, whatever it is for you. And just encourage you, just begin to just pray in the Spirit loud enough for you and God to hear. Lord, in the name of Jesus over this community, we stir up the fire. We stir up the fire. We stir up the presence of Jesus that is in us. We will not neglect the gift of God that is in us. Lord, we're not here just to do church. And God, as we begin this new season, we want to put a stake in the ground and say, We want the fullness of Christ manifested in us. We want the fullness of his life. We want the fullness of his fire and the fullness of his fruit and fruitfulness manifested in us. We're hungry. We're hungry to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we stir up the fire that is in us, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the person on our right, on our left and around us. Because my fire impacts your fire and your fire impacts mine. And when you bring two fires together, the result is often a bigger fire than the adding of the two. And so God, we just say, let there be homothumidon. Let there be one in heart and mind where the fiery passion manifested among us. God, as we dismantle a whole lot of the old ways and push into something new, would your fire be upon us? Would we be known as, as a bunch of heart-connected, full of love and full of fire warriors who know how to take ground, who know how to heal hearts and who know how to love the world unconditionally so that they get a full picture of what you are like. Do it in us, God. And as we do it here in this place, right in the middle of our shopping center, God, with the presence that is generated, that that is celebrated and, and stewarded here, let it overflow into the streets. As kids play in the fountain outside, as people drink their coffees uh, and eat their food, God, just let your presence spill over 
and let what we sung just before we started teaching, let the streets be filled with dancing, let the streets be filled with singing because you've taken what's happened in us and it's overflowed into the streets and we can't control it anymore. Just like it's really hard to control a bushfire, let this fire get way out of control, way out of control, way out of control. In Jesus' name, everyone said...